Holy hell, are we going to have a Sovereign Tech Prime episode this week? Of course, you're not. That's not what you're hearing right now. Uh, Kind of a late night tonight. Um, Actually recording this the day before it's going to release. This is getting recorded on September 20th, 2018, and it'll get released on September 21st, 2018. And it is your Star Trek update. But before we get into that, uh, Amazon had like this fucking you know, surprise hardware event today. Whatever happened when Amazon was just, you know, making like really cool e-readers and and maybe having a little fun with tablets. Like, oh, we'll talk all about on the Sovereign Tech Prime episode, but these fucking Echo speakers and Echo everywhere and smart plugs and all this other horse shit. What the hell? (laughs) Crazy. And I mean, it's actually, for me, it's actually been a pretty long day. Uh, I mean, maybe not a long day necessarily initially for the most important of reasons, at least not to anyone but me. But, you know, I, I'm going to share this with you before we get. We have tons of Star Trek news to talk about this month. Um, this is your September 2018, obviously, Star Trek update. Um, and starting in October, we'll have some interesting things to talk about, I think, uh, because, well, you'll, you'll find out as we get into the news why that's going to be. Uh, but, yeah, no comic book reviews this month because uh, I don't think until the following week that we're going to get that Transformers and Star Trek crossover comic. I'm not kidding. That's that's a real thing. And I'm fucking excited. Uh, I don't think that comes out till then. But also, we're still waiting for uh, the latest kind of mirror. What is it? Uh, Star Trek The Next Generation Terra Incognita uh, to finish up. And we don't have any novels coming out until January where we have the Star Trek Discovery novel about uh, Cadet Tilly or, well, who I assume in the novel is still Cadet Tilly. Uh, before she got um, promoted, you know, in the season finale of Star Trek Discovery. But anyway, let me tell you. So I got up a little early today. Okay, now what's early for me? Um, anytime before eight o'clock is kind of early for me. Okay, uh, I mean, I don't sleep a whole ton anyway, and I'm not saying that that's a good thing. Uh, I mean, I average anywhere between four to six hours a night, something like that. Uh, and that's something I really need to remedy particularly for my own like bodybuilding goals. Like I really, really have to remedy that because I know, you know, the gains you can get when you get a shit ton of sleep and I'm all about the gains, baby. But anyway, speaking about the gains, um, you know, I'm a big fan. I'll be honest with you about this. Okay. Since we're talking genre shit here, we can talk about this. I'm a big fan of the rock. Like I'm a really big fan of the rock have been. I I mean, I was there. I was watching when he came out as Rocky Maivia in the 90s. I mean, like, I, I've been following this guy's career forever. I went and saw The Scorpion King opening night. I mean, what a sexy-ass film that was. I saw The Mummy Returns, which was technically his first appearance a year previous uh, in a film. I love the fact that, in fact, The Rock, well, here, here let's let's make it appurtenant to, to the Star Trek update. The Rock was in Star Trek. He was in Star Trek Voyager. Remember the fight between him and Seven of Nine? Oh, it was fucking awesome. That was so great. I mean, he's not the only wrestler that would be in Star Trek. Um, the Big Show would end up being in uh, the fourth season uh, episode of Enterprise with the Orions, uh, which he was dynamite, looked great. Uh, but The Rock was really, I mean, that was that was a big deal when we were getting The Rock in, uh, you know, in Star Trek. So, you know, there's some crossover there. Anyway, I really like The Rock. And, and I've talked about this before, in fact. Like, I buy a lot of his gear when he comes out with new gear. Um, I did a review of his headphones for a Patreon episode. Um, I've bought his shoes. You know, here and there, things that I think that are actually practical, I'll get my hands on. So he made an announcement last week that on 920, which is the day that I'm recording this, 
he's going to have the biggest drop of of his gear ever, you know, and he has this this deal with Under Armour or whatever. And trust me, I think you'll find this interesting, or maybe you won't. I don't know, but we'll get into Star Trek stuff, and that you'll find interesting. Um, but anyway, so I'm like, okay, well, he's you know, nine twenty is going to do the drop. I know how this goes because I've been there when he's done his other quote unquote drops. Um, like he did a chase greatness line. This is going to be the all day hustle line, whatever. And so I'm like, okay, under armor, we'll put it up on their website at about seven 55 AM. Okay. So I get up this morning to do that just to see what's, what's going to get put out there. And this is kind of the part of the an oddity here is that this is the first time where he didn't really say, usually he tells you like a month, even ahead of time of what's going to be on offer, like what you're going to be able to get. He didn't say at all what was going to be available. Like he was, I mean, there's, there's a couple of like little ads you could watch on Instagram, uh, kind of trailers almost that, that showed off a couple of interesting things. One of them being like this really cool duffel bag slash backpack, which I did end up getting, um, but anyway, you know, he didn't really like talk much about what he what he was putting out there. So I'm like, OK, well, it's going to be a surprise. I hope there's something fucking great. He did. He was demoing like because he shows his workouts and everything, which I enjoy seeing those. And he always has some, you know, I mean, I don't fall for cheesy inspirational shit, but his stuff. I mean, he's really done it like he can actually talk. So I like hearing him talk. Uh, and you know, he just has such panache. It's, it's really enjoyable to, you know, to listen to him. Um, you know, even <laughs> so fuck 20 years later <laughs> since I've been watching him. Uh, but anyway, so he was like demoing this, this cloth that he had, um, that was supposed to like keep from getting wet. Like it couldn't get wet. The wicking on it, whatever kept it from getting wet. And it was great for the gym and all this stuff. And I think you see him wearing it a lot in his pictures, uh, on Instagram where he's wearing it like a bandana and so on. I was like, oh, well, that's kind of interesting. You know, well, maybe that'll end up, uh, you know, getting put out. And, you know, like I, I wouldn't mind picking that up either. And, of course, like I said, I didn't end up getting that bag, even though that bag, it's the only really unique. Th- well, I, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me keep going. So I'm like, all right. So I get up, you know, I go to Under Armour's, I, I you know, get some coffee. I come down to the to the BDSM studio where my main computer is. And I, uh, you know, I I go to the Under Armour site and have to refresh quick and then everything's there and nothing's sold out yet. Okay, good. You know, I mean, there was his first pair of shoes, his first, what they call uh, Project Rock Deltas. Now he has Project Rock Ones, which is a new shoe line, kind of signature shoe line of his. Um, his first ones, they sold out like almost instantaneously. And I was able to get a pair of Project Rock Deltas and there's a reason I'm not buying any Project Rock Ones, even though he did finally sell a black pair of those. Originally, they were like this weird blue, and now he has a black and a white pair. And the black ones would have been nice because the Project Rock Deltas I have are like are way too white for my anarchist flavor of being triple black. But anyway, um, so I wasn't necessarily looking for the shoes because my Project Rock Deltas are still look like new, even though I beat the hell out of them, you know, when I do a workout. And that's the only time I ever wear them. So I get up, you know, and I'm looking and I'm like, what, 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 what is all this? Like, I'm looking around. There's nothing really. Yeah, he's got his headphones for sale again. I already have those. Um, he's selling his shoes again with a new design. I already have a pair of rock shoes. I'm not going to. There's no nobody works out that much that they need like a multitude of, of like workout shoes like that. I mean, nobody. Uh, so, you know, fuck that. Like, I, I, I don't need those. And everything else. There's like a $250 backpack. It's not the bag that I got. That didn't cost anywhere near that. Okay, there was the bag that looked pretty cool, but then there was a backpack for like two hundred fifty bucks. I'm like, what? 
what the fuck does this backpack do that it's it should cost 250 bucks it's not like whole grain leather or your you know full grain leather or anything like that like I, I was baffled and then i look around at kind of everything else and there's you know some shirts and hoodies and things like this and they all say you know what the product line was which is all day hustle right which that's cool i can dig that i'm i do an all day hustle fuck i'm recording this you know in the middle like <laughs> i don't know it, is it like 11 or midnight right now i'm not sure uh anyway I'm looking at, and, and like the shirts, these shirts are like $50 a pop. And I'm thinking like, no, these aren't Armani, you know? And I mean, I understand, you know, you can sell a shirt for like a t-shirt for 30 bucks. Like I, I get that. Okay. Especially if it has like some kind of like, almost like dry star technology, you know, from like starter or whatever. Cause even at Walmart a shirt, like that's going to cost you 20 bucks. And you know, that's like gold at Walmart, right? Something costing that much. And I was just, I was, I was completely baffled. I'm like, what? This is, this is just. I mean, I, I was actually kind of pissed because one of the reasons I dig the rock and I like buying his shit is because when he says that he tests this stuff out, I really believe him. Like, I like I, I, I think he's legitimate because he, there's no he doesn't have to lie to me. You know, like there's no need for that. But this felt like the, the prices on everything. You can go look at it. The prices on everything just felt like a like a piss poor money grab. And I was like, well, this is really disappointing. There's nothing really new here. I mean, I guess if you didn't already have shoes and you didn't get the headphones, maybe it was exciting for you. But the duffel bag was the only really unique thing uh, that they had. And, you know, so I picked that up. But then that was the one thing that's on back order. Like you had to pre-order it. You you weren't even going to get it. everything else they had available except for that one thing. And I'm like, well, that, well what the fuck? So I won't get that till the middle of October, uh, apparently. And I and that's bullshit. But Okay. So, I don't know. I was, I was just, I was really disappointed by this. And then later on today, you know, the, the, the news crosses my feed that, uh, like, Under Armour's dropping 3% of its workforce, which only adds up to, like, 400 people, but I guess in, to some degree that's significant by percentages. Um, and I'm like, oh, so Under, Am- Under Armour's fucking tanking. And so, you know, they made this deal with The Rock, and, and they, they, like, quadrupled the price of what any of these things should have cost. And, and look, believe me, I, I wholly understand how much performance wear normally costs. This was fucking robbery. Like, no way. There's no Under Armour shit should cost that much. I don't care whose name you put on it. So I, I was pretty disappointed. I am, I'm very skeptical. And I, and, you know, like I said, initially when The Rock, like, started, had his first line come out for, for Under Armour, and this was just back in what, like, um, end of March or beginning of April. Like everything sold out inside of a few minutes. I mean, literally, like all the shoes, like, I mean, maybe some shirts were left or something, but so much of the shit just sold out like almost instantaneously. It was crazy. Uh, end of June when he had his other line and that's when he had his headphones come out and everything like those sold out pretty quick. Uh, today I, I looked at it and I mean, nothing's really sold out and I don't know. May, may, so hopefully everybody else is feeling what I was feeling. But I just thought that that was that was ridiculous and, and very disappointing, you know, for because y- you count on this stuff. You want value to come out of it. And like I was really trusting it. And yeah, thanks for letting me share this with you, because I was I was really pissed off. Like, I, you know, I mean, all your heroes fail you, of course. But this felt uh, this felt like a little something extra, uh, a, a little too egregious for for my taste, where it's like, no, nah, you know, rock. I fucking I try. You know, I trusted you, man. And and I feel like. 
I don't know. You, you didn't. You didn't give me anything really practical because that's what I want. I want something practical, something I can use. I don't. I don't need a shirt with a bull symbol on it. Okay. I. I need something that I can use that's actually going to improve my workouts. And every time previous, he sold something to that effect. And I guess. I guess there's the bag, but it's just a bag. You know. I mean, it's a nice one. It has some you know cool abilities to it. But come on. So anyway, okay. This is the Star Trek update. We were just talking about The Rock. Yeah, if you forgot, he was in Star Trek, so there, there's, there's our connection there. But now we've got a ton of news to get into. And this might be our first story here. Like I said, we're not. there's no comic book reviews. There's no novel reviews. Um, I will save the... I could review one of the Star Trek Prometheus books, um, but I'm, I'm going to hold off on that. I might do the whole trilogy because I think for the books to really make a ton of sense... It needs the entire trilogy. So we'll probably save that for uh, for December, um, you know, to really go over those instead of doing them one at a time, because I want to get the complete trilogy and the complete story in my head uh, before I really give them a full review. I, I think that's only fair for them. So anyway, um, yeah, none, none of those kinds of reviews. We just have literally all news throughout this whole thing. But there's a lot of amazing news and some really cool shit coming up, in my opinion. Uh, but this is a news story. Open it up. This is something I just would have never fucking thought like that I would be saying or talking about like I I was when I I I think I was going to the grocery store when I saw this when it came across my feed and I looked at it and and my jaw literally dropped I was like wait what (laughs) let let me just read the headline and and I all the links are in the show notes if you want to read up more on this stuff but here it is astronomers discover a planet right where Star Trek's Vulcan would be yeah exactly <laughs> that's what i said i was like wait what now you know you know long time listeners of sovereign tech you know i like all finding all these exoplanets and all this other shit that are supposedly habitable and whatnot um i am highly skeptical of these planets because usually what will happen is they'll announce it it makes for interesting press and then a week or two later they'll say oh shit we were wrong but they won't you know make that they won't put that in the press but if you look at like the the exoplanet list uh you know it keeps getting shorter and shorter even though it looks like we just keep adding on to it that's not the reality of the situation here so i mean that's you know i i use i don't get excited about this kind of news but that is really fucking fascinating Okay, uh, you know, that that wow, where Vulcan should be, there's a planet. And yes, Star Trek is that well thought out. In fact, behind me, I have my stellar cartography maps uh, from Star Trek. And one of them is of the entire Vulcan system. Um, Now, a lot of people might not realize this. I mean, but some of this stuff, again, like I said, it is really well thought out. But some of this stuff is really, really well thought out. Um, Let me read the story here for you because it's it's not long, but there's interesting uh, tidbits to take from it. As Spock once said, quote, in critical moments, men sometimes see exactly what they wish to see, end quote. But a new scientific discovery may be more than just wishful interpretation. Researchers have discovered a planet that matches the description of planet Vulcan, Spock's home planet that Star Trek's original creator Gene Roddenberry gave almost 20 years ago. Of course, it's not the exact same planet from the fictional franchise, but it is a real life rock with very Vulcan like properties. Uh, in collaboration with astronomers from the Harvard-Smithsonian Center for Astrophysics, Roddenberry declared back in 1991 that if Vulcan really existed, it would likely orbit the real-life star 40 Iridani A, science reported. Because 40 Iridani A is a few billion years old, Roddenberry theorized that a planet orbiting that star would have had enough time to develop a civilization as advanced as the Vulcans. 40 Iridani A is an orange dwarf, about 16 light-years away from Earth, and it is sometimes visible in the night 
night sky. Now, the Dharma Planet Survey, which is a widespread effort to catalog planets and star systems near to our own, has found a planet orbiting 40 Iridani A, right where Vulcan would be. The planet, officially dubbed HD 26965b, is about twice the size of Earth and has a year that lasts only 42 days, Space explained. Uh, The Dharma Planet's uh, planet surveys findings are due to be published in the journal Monthly Notices, the Royal Astronomical Society in October. Read more about our new planet Vulcan at space. And, of course, there's a link there to, to read more all about that. Now, this is interesting. Uh, I was going to say, because I think in the book, it was a Diane Duane's book, Spock's World. I think she also like labels it off as being, uh, you know, at Iridani, uh, 40 Iridani A. Um, I mean, it's, you know, come on. <laughs> it's just a, it's a lucky fucking guess, right? That that it's just pure fortuitousness that this sort of thing would happen. And obviously a planet with only like a 42 day year. I mean, you know, how much life are we actually talking about, you know, becoming a thing um, on this planet? So we didn't actually find Vulcan, but it is that I mean, you know, well, to quote Spock, fascinating. <laughs> it is fascinating that there is a planet right where Vulcan was theorized to be. Um, I'm going to let you in on a little something. So there is actually, and they were, they were going to try and make a movie about this. Um, there is a conspiracy theory out there that Gene Roddenberry, and this gets into kind of like the majestic 12, right? That, uh, that Eisenhower and others were in well, eventually I guess like Jimmy Carter and others would end up becoming a part of where, uh, the, the, kind of this this conspiracy theory about majestic 12 is that aliens have been to earth and there is a a a council of 12 people that are the representatives of earth to this alien culture and this and the majestic 12 are trying to guide uh or you know mj12 i think is the other name for it that they give it in in documents and all this stuff and the theory is is that they're trying to guide us to where we can become an interstellar species by working with this these this group of aliens now within that kind of theory not necessarily majestic 12 but that same basic idea that that humanity has been in contact with aliens for well at least since the you know 50s 40s or 50s whatever um there is a conspiracy theory and like i said they were going to make a movie about this that gene roddenberry was actually like he made he was hired to make star trek to to effectively engage in predictive programming to get people ready for becoming part of an interstellar society to get humanity ready for being part of an interstellar society and that that was the entire point behind uh you know behind star trek um, and that's the whole reason that it even came into existence. And and like I said, there was going to be a movie about this. I don't remember if the movie was exactly going to say that the character's name was Gene Roddenberry, but it was totally based upon uh, based upon and you know, around this idea that this is why Gene Roddenberry actually made Star Trek. Pure conspiracy theory, conjecture. There's some little things to point at, like MJ-12, you know, but. I mean, there's there's not enough to really run with that. Okay, and no, I don't think that Star Trek was designed for. I mean, part of the reason I don't think Star Trek was designed for that is that we or you know was like that that was actually a thing. First off, I don't think aliens have ever been to Earth, so let's 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 get that out of the way. But secondly, is that the original sponsors for Star Trek? um, Well, let's be clear here. Well, not that. Let's not even talk about the sponsor. The initial person that gave. Star Trek, the real green light was Lucille Ball. Yeah, that Lucille Ball. 
right? Um, and boy, we can thank her forever for changing the world. Okay, but anyway, so Lucille Ball was the one behind. And look, I mean, are you going to tell me Lucille Ball was talking to aliens? I mean, I guess they would have had a good laugh. You know, they would have met one of the best of us. That's for sure. But you know, come on, like that's that didn't happen. Uh, but also, like the initial sponsors for Star Trek uh, included um, cigarette companies. You know, Philip Morris uh, and. And like initially there was going to be a preacher aboard the Enterprise like the, Star Trek was going to end up looking very, very different than what we initially thought based upon the sponsors that were initially getting collected uh, for it to be, you know, getting produced by Desilu Studios at the time, which, of course, was, you know, Desilu, Desi and, and Lucy. Right. That's that's Lucille Ball's uh, studio. Of course, later it would go on to Paramount. But initially it was with Desilu. So. Yeah, no, <laughs> like that, that that didn't happen. OK, uh, so if somebody wants to point at it's like, oh, see, this is more proof that Gene Roddenberry was in communication with aliens and Star Trek is getting us ready for this interstellar society because Vulcan's real. No, sorry, folks. <laughs> All right. It's really I mean, it's it's ironic. It's, uh, you know, pure happenstance. And it's a beautiful happenstance at that. OK, I, I like that. And in fact, I think they should name the damn thing Vulcan. You know, why the hell not? Okay, Uh, but that's it. All right. (laughs) That's that's all it is. But I never, ever thought I would say that. I mean, and and that is talk about a lucky shot. I I mean, that's that's pretty cool. And this made the rounds pretty good. And I think it's a fun story to make the rounds. So I'm happy to talk about it when normally I'm very negative about talking about any kind of exoplanet or, you know, not that they ever claimed that this was Earth like course they're saying it's vulcan like but yeah it it just doesn't really mean much but i mean this is just a fun one that i thought was worthwhile to talk about so yeah planet vulcan it's out there hey maybe we'll hit it someday no we won't (laughs) we're never gonna leave the solar system so (laughs) at least at least not you know us alive and get to another one um but and and that's not even getting into the entire huge ethical problems with generational ships and there are Woo. All right. So anyway, let's get on to some other news. I just I thought that that was that was really cute and just a very fun story. And I mean, like and it's a headline that you just read and you go, wait, what? <laughs> you can't help but stop. Uh, and I, I thought it was great. So, OK, uh, this is this actually this news just dropped today of, of this recording, which is September 20th. Um, we knew that these were coming. But we didn't have a whole ton of details as far as when they were going to be coming, when they would come out and, and maybe more about the story and so on. Um, and that is uh, uh, kind of a mini series, you could almost call it, called Short Treks, which are these mini episodes um, that are going to run. I th- I think they only run like maybe 10, 15 minutes. I mean, they're not. Again, it's called short for a reason, uh, but it's called Star Trek Short Treks. And I'm sure this is going to be a, a series of a type. Not that it's going to be consistent, but it's going to be something that could be used for all the various shows out there, right? Because we know we have the Picard show that's going to be coming out, and there's going to be uh, a lot of other shows happening, too. Um, But we do have details now on these uh, Star Trek short treks. Um, Now, before I get into that story, I do want to something I didn't have. I don't have in the show notes, but I want to bring up Um, Les Moonves has been pretty much ousted from CBS. Now, this is the guy who was spearheading. I mean, well, if you know, you know, if you know less, I mean, you know the deal. Like, this is the head of fucking CBS. This is the Bob Iger of CBS. 
Um, he's never been a huge fan of Star Trek. So as much as less, I, I think is a very smart businessman. And I know the problems that are being described around what, you know, there's a lot of accusations, you know, sexual accusations and everything being, you know, being lobbied against them. And I'm not uh, belittling those. OK, I'm just saying he's a very shrewd, very smart businessman. Um, I don't I don't know how well CBS All Access would have done if he didn't cut the deals that he cut. But he's never he is self-avowed, not a fan of Star Trek. Um, he thinks it's like a kind of a waste of time. And if any point Star Trek ever got the short shrift by CBS when they were running it or as they've been running it, uh, you can kind of blame him. So I don't mind that he's out. OK. And in fact, the fact that he's out might be where, you know, like really CBS is trying to just get whatever kind of shining light that they have. Uh, I almost said guiding light. Wouldn't that have been ironic? Those that know soap operas. Uh, but, anyway, uh, you know, he's, CBS is probably in real damage control mode and they're just trying to get stuff out there to get some kind of positive press around anything that they're doing. Well, the short treks are certainly a step in the right direction. Um, and these are again, there's four of them. And the first one is I, is amazingly, this is what, what blew me away and I thought was really great. The first one's going to going to hit on October 4th on CBS All Access. Obviously, you'll be able to find it on torrent sites pretty much instantaneously as well. Um, I do pay for CBS All Access, but that's because I enjoy a lot of the content that's available there pretty quickly, and I do want to support Star Trek. Um, I also like Strange Angel. I think that's that's really cool. I mean, there's, there's, there's stuff on there that, that I'm digging. So anyway... Um, yeah, we're going to get four episodes and the first one, let's see, they do have the dates for all of them. So the first one will be October 4th. The next one will get released on November 8th, then December 6th, and then January 3rd with probably season two of Discovery picking up shortly thereafter. Uh, the first one that we're going to get on Thursday, October 4th, and these are all getting released on a Thursday, which is an interesting day to choose, but whatever. You got to pick one. Might as well. You got a, got a one in seven shot. <laughs> anyway, uh, the first one's called Runaway. Uh, I'll read you the description here. On board the USS Discovery, Ensign Tilly encounters an unexpected visitor in need of help. However, this unlikely pair may have more in common than meets the eye. And that one's actually going to be written by uh, by Alex Kurtzman, who is running Star Trek now. He is the Gene Ronberry slash Rick Berman slash Braga uh, of Star Trek today. Kurtzman is, is shall we say, the man. Um, so that's, I mean, that's great to have him on board with that. Uh, the next one will be called Calypso. This might be the most interesting one, and I'll explain why. Um, and this, will, this one will be out in November. Uh, after waking up in an unfamiliar sickbay, Kraft played by Eldis Hodge, black guy. Uh, I think that this is this is a new character. That's why I think this one's going to be very interesting. Let's read on. Uh, finds himself on board a deserted ship, and his only companion and hope for survival is an AI computer interface. Uh, this is the one written by, uh, by uh, Michael Chabon, who is... Well, if you know the name, you know what he's done. Uh, but they've made a really big deal about getting him to write for Star Trek, and he and he loves uh, he loves doing it. So, I mean, they've been bringing on guys, you know, Rick and Morty, and so on. I mean, it's really it's really amazing what they've been able to do. Um, so, anyway, this character of Kraft, new character, I'm sure he's going to have a big part to play in season two of Star Trek Discovery. I don't know that, but I'm pretty sure uh, that that's that's going to end up being a thing. So. You're going to want to keep an eye out for that one, uh, that idea of an AI computer interface that could get interesting. Maybe he's like, uh, I mean, his name's Kraft. You don't get a last name. If there's an AI computer involved, I wonder if he's going to be related to uh, 
uh, Richard Daystrom, right, of the Daystrom Institute, who created the M5 AI computer in the original series episodes. Uh, keep in mind, you know, that. So here's the thing. Like, all right, I just made a speculation. Right. And you want to speculate responsibly because like in Star Wars, nobody speculates responsibly. They, you know, they they say the dumbest shit that'll come out of their mouths or, you know, that that'll come into their minds and then it comes out of their mouths uh, with Star Trek. Unlike Star Wars, Star Trek Discovery has actually gone out of its way to reference the entire Star Trek canon from Enterprise to the original series to Next Gen to D Space Nine to Voyager. They have gone out of their way to do that. So I think you can speculate a little harder with Star Trek than you can than with Star Wars. I'd recommend just just stay fucking clear. Don't you know, don't even really bother speculating uh, as far as that goes. So I wonder if this is going to have something to do with Daystrom. But we'll see. I don't know. The character of Kraft sounds interesting. Uh, uh, Eldest Hodge has a great look. I think he has a tremendous, almost like a Lando Calrissian kind of look, speaking of Star Wars. Um, I really dig it. So maybe it'll be a part of Section 31. I'm totally down with that uh, as, as well. The next episode of the four, this being the third, this is the one that's going to come out in December, is called The Brightest Star. Uh, it says, before he was the first Kelpian to join Starfleet, Saru lived a simple life on his home planet of Kaminar with his father and sister. Young Saru, full of ingenuity and a level of curiosity uncommon among his people, yearns to find out what lies beyond his village, leading him on an unexpected path. Uh, cool. You know, all right, a Saru story. Every, you know, a lot of people really like the character of Saru. Rock and roll, go for it. Um, the next one that'll come out in January, again, right before season two starts, probably a Star Trek Discovery, uh, we get Harry Mudd. Uh, Ryan Wilson's coming back. Uh, the Escape Artist is the name of the episode. Harry Mudd, back to his old tricks of stealing and double dealing, finds himself in a precarious position aboard a hostile ship just in time to try out his latest con. Uh, so anyway, interesting stuff. Uh, we're going to get those. I love that this is a thing. Um, I am a big fan of short content. Of course, I write my own short fiction, which comes out in uh, newsletters and other various areas, uh, including for Star Trek itself, actually. Now, I mean, not for the official, you know, Paramount slash CBS run stuff, but, you know, I have my own Star Trek Forbidden Frontiers, which is a lot of fun to do. Um, and this with the short treks, again, this is something where I think and, and this is a brilliant move, OK, because one of the problems we have today with streaming services or it's not really a problem for us as viewers. I mean, it, it can be depending upon our, our, our memory and mentality, uh, but it's a real problem for uh, networks and studios is that. If you do the binge watching thing like Netflix, you know, it, like you can't churn out seasons of these shows quick enough. OK, as to where I mean, and I thought it was kind of bullshit. Yes, that CBS All Access was like holding back, even though all the episodes, most most of the episodes were done, that they were holding back and that, like they'd only air one episode a week as to where, OK, it's a streaming service I'm paying for. Give me the whole fucking you know season right now. You know, like, why do I have to wait? This should be like Netflix. Well, just like Netflix is doing similar to what they they had been doing with Voltron, even though the last two seasons of Voltron looks like they're going to give us full 13 episode seasons before they were splitting it up. Right. They're doing six episodes. Then they'd give us another six and they'd say each one was its own season. Um, this is the problem that you have is that you've got to you got to keep people's appetites wetted. All right. You got to keep them hungry. Or, you know, you, well, you got to feed them, but keep them hungry, but, but you got to feed them at, at certain points. So you can't take like an entire year, almost an entire year off. All right. From a show 
and expect people to remember what the hell was going on. You know, it used to be sure three, four months, maybe. But now we're looking at almost like, a, you know, just shy of an entire year um, that you do this because your seasons aren't that long anymore either. Your your seasons are usually what, 15, 16 episodes now, 13. Or I mean, if you're lucky, usually it's like 12 or 13 as to where it used to be you'd get 22 24 27 episode seasons and so on um that could last you a few months they don't do that anymore you know you're done inside of a couple you know two three months and then you have that whole other nine months uh you know for someone else or you know for some other show to to steal people's hearts so if you have star trek short treks here these little episodes that you can make that you can just release at any given moment one per month um, I think this is great because it keeps Star Trek in people's minds. It keeps Star Trek discovery in people's minds. It keeps people, keeps them hungry. It's like, okay, oh yeah, oh, there's more Star Trek. Oh yeah, more Star Trek. And even if it's only 15 minutes, that's fucking great. You know, like, like, like just keep people on the hook, you know? And, and this is because you can't do, because of streaming services, okay, people watch shit faster now. You can't do the, the, you know, the, okay, we'll take a mid, a mid season break and also, I mean, like that, that stuff just doesn't work anymore. So how are you going to keep people excited and keep them from forgetting about your, you know, your dynamite show that you're making? Well, you do something like this. I think this is a very unique solution and a very interesting one. So short tracks, I'm totally supportive of this. I think this is wonderful. However, the one thing it has to do, I think it's a great idea, but it has to do this. It has to, unlike where Star Wars has real, the Star Wars franchise, since it's been owned by Disney, has really dropped the ball in not interconnecting the various mediums and the various, uh, yeah, the various different types of media that get put out there, like the comic books. The comic books do a great job of having internal consistency, and they might even work better with the novels, but like the movies and whatnot do not connect with what's happening in the rest in the comics the books and you know even the even so much i mean there's there's some connection like with rogue one and rebels like you get some of that but like you really need to have some hyperconnective tissue okay with these short treks with whatever the fuck is going to happen in the big stuff in the big shows in the big season or in the you know in discovery or in the picard show or something like that but otherwise i think this is this is great i mean it doesn't have to do that but you're going to have to let people know that it's standalone and it's just something fun. But I, I think it's in your best interest to make sure that these matter to what happens in the future, because otherwise then people won't care about them if they don't have any bearing on what they're waiting for, which is another season of their show. Right. So that's really, really important. I think that they do that. Um, but as far as I can tell, they are going to do that. Um, I would have loved they, they could have done five of these. And I, I personally, I would have loved an Empress Giorgio. Uh, short trek like that deleted scene that we got that's uh, that you can watch online where she it seems like she's being asked to join section 31 of course which I think is fucking tremendous um, you know do stuff like that like I would have li- I really would have liked another Empress George Row one or even if they just expanded on that you know get Michelle Yeoh in I know she just did was a crazy rich Ange- Asians or whatever but get her in and you know I, I'm sure she's contracted at whatever price they've got her at and and you know let's have a little expansion on that and make that official because right now we don't know that that deleted scene is necessarily official as far as I know. Um, so that's, and that, that's kind of annoying. Like I, we really should know whether or not that's, that's a thing. So anyway, speaking of Star Trek discovery, uh, there was at fan expo Canada in Toronto. Uh, now these are becoming quite the thing. They're just calling them fan expos. I think it's a great name. Stop calling everything comic con already. Um, there was one in Boston recently. I kind of wish I went to it, uh, but it sounded like it had a lot of big names. Shatner was there. There's a lot of, you know, a lot of others, um, that would have been really cool to see. But anyway, they had, uh, a lot of the, 
Well, there was uh, there was the some of the cast was there, um, but there are also producers and, you know, a lot of the crew are not like the crew of the Discovery, but the crew of the show, Star Trek Discovery producers, you know, and, and you know, designers and everybody uh, were there and they were talking quite a bit. They made some comments about and because I'm sure they were inundated with questions from the fans saying, you know, why does Star Trek Discovery have the look that it does? Why didn't you go with a more original series look, etc.? And they gave some answers to this, and I, I don't know how I felt about it. Like uh, a production designer, uh, Tamara Deverell, um, there was there was one question and about actually the design, and this is what she said at, at this fan expo. She said, um, I think that we owe it to the fans to keep in time with the technology that we have. So whereas we all love the original series and the cardboard sets that they had, if we had if we did that and offered that up to all of you, I think you would be sadly disappointed in this day and age. And in and so in keeping with the rhythm of the times and the technology that we have with CAD drafting, CNC printing and 3D printing, we are expanding our universe, going where no one has gone before. Okay. Again, I've brought this point up a million times. Okay, so they're trying to defend. Okay, this is why everything looks a little more advanced. Um, in fact, there's a there's another. Well, I want to read some of the other uh, quotes. In fact, let me read those quotes. So the other things that were said, uh, in fact, art director Jody Clement said, uh, also, we have incorporated consoles. We do have lots of toggles and switches, which are mixed in with technology from 2018. So it's an ode to the original series. So they're pretty much saying, Okay, yeah, we know it doesn't look like the original series, but we tried to put some elements like we put physical switches and everything, which, yeah, I mean, Stallion here, you know, yeah, I think that's that's nice. But let me read the last quote. Uh, And the last quote is from concept illustrator Ryan Denning. Uh, He said, I would also like to add that I tend to keep very closely to the movies as opposed to the 1960s series, especially the Undiscovered Country, which is as advanced as they could get. The Enterprise really before the movies is a bunch of cardboard sets. So there has to come has to be a point we can give you more advanced technology than you have in your living room. Or I think you would be kind of bored. Um, I fuck. I disagree with that. And that that's the overall point I have to all of these. First off, I'm not seeing so much undiscovered country influence. I said this from the very first episodes of Discovery. This looks like Star Trek, the motion picture. Not a bad thing. Like, OK, if you're going to go with one design language for Starfleet, that's one of my favorites. So I, I don't have a problem with that. The doors look like, the, you know, the motion picture and so on. I think that's fine. Um, I get their point. I understand what they're saying. But. Again, I bring this up every time the fourth season episode of Enterprise. And again, this would have aired, what, 2004, 2005? Uh, Mirror Darkly in the Mirror Darkly. Okay, this is the two parter where they were. It all took place in the Mirror Universe. One of the best episodes Enterprise. And it was just dynamite Star Trek straight up. Okay, In that there is a point where, you know, they find the USS Defiant. Now, not not the Defiant from. Uh, you know, from Deep Space Nine, but the Defiant from the episode of the original series, the Tholian Web. You you see the Constitution class in all of its glory, what it looked like in the 60s, of course, done in CGI, but exactly what it looked like in the 60s and the way that they updated it for the remastering of the original series that they did at that time. And the bridge looked exactly like the fucking bridge, okay, from the orig- from the 1960s, from the original series. And... I don't think anybody complains like I really fucking don't think any I've not heard one complaint of somebody coming out and saying shit that doesn't look futuristic you know, like I, I just don't hear that 
people get it. They know it's the enterprise for fuck's sake. Okay. You know, I mean, like that's what it looks like. And people accept that. I mean, everybody recognizes it doesn't matter how little they've seen Star Trek. When you see the original series captain's chair, which is one of the most prized possessions in science fiction collectability. Okay. Who's, who's got it now? Uh, does, uh, does Waz still have that? I think Wozniak has it. Wozniak or Paul Allen. I mean, there might even be more than one anyway. So, uh, you know, when anybody sees that fucking chair, they instantly know what it is, you know, because it's just iconic. You know, it'd be like saying, yeah, we're going to update the design of the X-Wings, you know, in Star Wars. Are you fucking kidding me? There's a reason that they stuck with the classic look, you know, in, uh, with The Force Awakens, right? No, no, they're lying. They're full of crap. Nobody would be bored. You'd get it. And in fact, it, it would almost stand. And I've said this before, too, that when you see you know, in enterprise, when you, in, in the episodes in a mirror darkly, when you see the, the bridge of the defiant and it looks like the 1960s enterprise, right? Cause there's, they're both constitution class ships. When you see that it looks wildly futuristic because it's like, Oh shit, there's no screens. Like you have to know what all these, you know, lights mean and everything. And, and it really like, it's striking to you and it's memorable. So I just, I don't agree with them. I think they're full of shit. They just didn't want to have to recreate all the stuff. They wanted to do their own thing because they probably couldn't get people to come on board if they just wanted it to look exactly like it did back in the day. I mean, you know, when you watch star Trek continues, right? Does, I mean, who, who's complaining about this? I, I just, I, I, I don't agree. I, I think everything that the boring, that comment about it being boring and all that stuff, that's a pure horseshit. Uh, another example would be the six season episode of, of the next generation relics. When Scotty ends up in the 24th century and he goes on the holodeck with Picard and there, you know, they, they have the, the original bridge of the original enterprise, you know, no bloody a, no bloody B, no bloody C, no bloody D. And it looks amazing. And you, you know, your heart stops when you see it. So I just, I don't fucking buy this. I don't know. I don't know exactly what's going on here. And I don't know if we'll ever exactly find out the reality about it because we just recently got, finally got some, uh, uh, uh confirmation that the reason Paramount did, you know, a quasi reboot with the Kelvin timeline with the JJ Abrams movies is because they would have had to pay out like tons of intellectual property to use the original designs of the enterprise. Now CBS owns the original designs for the original enterprise. So that shouldn't be a problem, but fuck maybe in some way it is, maybe they'd have to, I don't know, maybe they have to pay out to the Jeffries estate or something. I, I cannot believe I don't agree with their argument saying that people wouldn't buy it today. That's horseshit. That's pure. I mean, it's just utter, utter fucking horseshit. You know, if people can get enjoyment out of watching, you know, medieval crap like Game of Thrones, they can enjoy 1960s styled, uh, you know, science fiction uh, designs like I, it's, it's crazy. So I, I don't buy it. Um, I get their points. I understand what they're saying to some degree. But no, I don't, I don't think it's boring at all. Now, if you're I mean, and especially since they're saying for the fans. Now, if they're trying to reach out to new fans. Yeah. Now, that's an argument to be made is that we're trying to bring in some new blood and whatever. Even that I don't exactly agree with. But that's something I could almost buy. But that's not the argument they're making. They're saying, no, it's going to be boring for everybody. Like you, you will be so annoyed because your living room is more advanced um, than than what you're seeing on the bridge of the original series Enterprise, which I don't know about you. Not that I've been in a whole ton of living rooms lately, but I've yet to see a living room that is more advanced than the bridge of the original series Enterprise. That's that's a ridiculous analogy to make. Uh, But anyway. 
So let's um, let's let's go on to that, that. That was link is in the show notes. If you want to read more about that, they had a bunch of deleted scenes that they were showing off there and that they talked about and everything. A lot of that stuff's probably going to be in the Blu-ray, which comes or the, the Blu-ray of season one of Star Trek Discovery, um, which I'll be doing a full review of come November when it comes out. Uh, that'll probably be in the November Star Trek update. So I don't want to cover all that right now, but I just I thought that I really don't buy that. But I am still intrigued to see what they do, like what I've seen for season two of Discovery in reference particularly to the Enterprise. I like how it looks. I'm fine with it. I'm really fine with it. But just don't give me any bullshit reasons. Tell me the truth. And if it's because of IP and money, tell me that. And, and I'll accept it Like because I know how much that sucks and how you have to work around that. But fucking tell me. So anyway, let's uh, let's get on to some uh, some other news here. Well, speaking of the original series, uh, like the original, original series, why don't we go ahead? Let, let's. Uh, there was an interesting comment um, from from William Shatner, of all people. <laughs> uh, and this is, I'm actually reading from comicbook.com, um, which is great. Comicbook.com actually has comicbook.com slash Star Trek. I mean, it's a site inundated with way too many ads, but they do actually do a pretty good job of uh, reporting some of the news. Uh, anyway, this is from September 16th, 2018. William Shatner explains the, quote, oh my, end quote, moment in Star Trek Generations. Pretty much Shatner explained what really happened, why his character was killed off in the first place, and so on. Um, let me read a bit of the story here. William Shatner has been speaking a lot lately about the death of Captain Kirk in 1994 Star Trek Generations. At the IC Collectors Convention in Nashville, he looked back on how he prepared for the big death scene. Shatner has previously explained that he didn't have much say in the decision to kill Kirk, also explaining that it was, it was more of a financial decision than a storytelling one. Still, as an actor, he couldn't control the if and why of Kirk's death. Who could decide, or still, as an actor, who he couldn't control the if and why of Kirk's death. Who could decide how Kirk would go out? His thoughts on that factored into Kirk's final words, Oh my, which... All right, let me talk about this for a minute. First off, the financial decision. Okay, apparently, and this is something Shatner has talked about recently on, in other stories as well. There's links for all of this in this one story. So Shatner pretty much says that the reason that they killed off Kirk was the studio, you know, uh, Paramount, I guess, in this case. Paramount said, look, we're going to kill you either way. You can either be in the movie or we're in the movie or, you know, as in be in Star Trek Generations, you yourself, William Shatner, or in Star Trek Generations, we're going to mention how you died. You know, we're going to tell you. And so Chatner, of course, said, okay, well, I'll take the payday, <laughs> you know, and, and like, and then I'll be in the movie. Sure. Okay. Uh, but he didn't have to. It, it sounds like Shatner didn't like the fact that his character was killed off. And, and I, I could I, I have every reason to believe that, even though Shatner was really at that time doing some interesting things uh, like he was doing tech war, which I'm a huge fan of everything he did with tech war. The TV show, the DOS game, the novels were phenomenal. The comic books, all of that. Uh, of course, he was also doing quest for tomorrow, man of war. You know, I mean, Shatner was a busy, busy man at this point. It's not like he didn't have other projects. It's not like, oh, shit, I'm losing my only gig that I've got is Captain Kirk. No, that's that's crazy. Uh, in fact, you know, he would end up writing uh, Ashes of Eden and The Return, specifically The Return, which would pretty much say and I, and I think it's one of the best Star Trek novels ever again I mean it's yes it's William Shatner's name it's his story more or less Judith and uh, and Garfield Reeve Stevens actually were the ghostwriters for it I know that but whatever we'll say William Shatner wrote it okay um, because who the hell are you to argue with William Shatner so <laughs> so you know Shatner writes the return which pretty much reverses every, I mean and, and Ashes of Eden would kind of do similar all of this ends up reversing 
exactly what happened in Star Trek Generations. So Kirk actually isn't dead if you buy into the Shatnerverse. An interesting thing to note about this is that a lot of of your higher end um, Star Trek fan productions, your in, your independent productions, most of those will like, you know, people that make like web series or even, you know, some other things, whatever kind of, you know, Star Trek theater that they do. Most of those actually accept the Shatnerverse, what they call the Shatnerverse, which are these various books, uh, you know, Ashes of Eden, The Return, uh, Federation, Spectre, Avenger, so on. They consider those canon. Um, and in, you know, now everybody can have their own head canon. In my own head canon, I also consider the Shatner novels totally canon. I, cause they're so awesome. Like, I mean, they are so much fucking fun to read. It's, it's the best Star Trek you'll get in the novels, in my opinion. Uh, just flat out. You know, they're not canon, technically, but fuck, they might as well be. And I, I just as well enjoy Kirk being alive more so, especially in the 24th century, uh, than anything else. So yeah, I'll, I'll take that. And of course in the books, I mean, because we know in the 24th century, right, that Scotty's there, Dr. McCoy's still alive and so on. So you get to have in those books, there's times where you get those nice moments where, Hey, Kirk's back and he gets and Spock's alive. Of course, we're going to talk about that in a minute. Um, you know, you, you get, the original crew is kind of like still in the 24th century. Uh, you know, partly three of them by canon. One of them just isn't canon, but fuck, it might as well be. Of course, that being Captain Kirk. So anyway, so, he, you know, th- as far as the financial decision, they Paramount was saying, you know, the Star Trek, the original series movies aren't going to make money anymore. We're not going to make them anymore. We're going all in on the next generation to do money. And of course, with first contact, they'd end up being right. Not so much a generations. Um, so, you know, you can either be in this movie and control this or you not really control it, but like have some say in the narrative or you can't. And so Shatner decided to be, you know, in the film. And I'm glad that he was, even though this is where I want to stop because we bring up the oh, my moment. Now, I want to read more about the oh, my moment. OK, but I thought that that was like for me personally, I thought it was the, the just the dumbest those are the last words of James Tiberius Kirk come on i mean that's i think that's part of the reason i consider the the shatner verse canon in my own head because i just i can't live with that that's like the end of kirk i mean sure you could say he saved so much of civilizations planet and blah 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 but not enough for me baby not enough for me so anyway let, let let's read on with this um his thoughts on that what factored into kirk's final words oh my uh shatner recalled the night before filming kirk's death scene explaining what he was thinking that led to those words quote i thought about dying my death and his beloved character who's going to be and this beloved character who's going to be put to rest end quote shatner said quote how do i play it you know there's got to be a moment you're alive and you're going to die now you're alive and now you're going to die right kirk comes back he's in the nexus comes back again blah blah dies blah yeah there has to be a moment when we all at that moment of death we say holy cats i'm dying and you're dead How do you treat that moment? And I think we die the way we live. If we live filled with fear, a fear of flying, a fear of leaving the village, you'll be fearful. You'll lose your breath. You'll panic and you'll die. Or if you look forward to the next adventure, maybe you're conscious. Maybe maybe we're conscious when we die. Maybe we're aware. A lot of people believe in heaven. We're all going to go to a lovely place and see somebody. I don't know what age we see our mother and father. Are they still old or are they young? We don't know. That would be a lovely thing to happen, but we don't know. It's how we die that's interesting. And I think we die the way we live captain kirk always treated the eminent death by the alien and uh, or yeah always always treated the eminent death by the alien and the way i played it was 
wow, oh, look at that. I wonder if he's going to eat me with awe and wonder. And so Captain Kirk, I wanted him to die with awe and wonder. Star Trek, so anyway, that's the end of what Shatner said. Star Trek The Next Generation uh, star Patrick Stewart recently announced that he will return to his role as Captain Jean-Luc Picard in a new Star Trek series on CBS All Access. Shatner has thought about whether he might reprise reprise his uh, Star Trek role in a future series. Quote, he says, right now I'm happy doing what I'm doing. I've been offered many series over the years, but I haven't done them because of the commitment of time. And at this stage of my life, that's more valuable than anything else. End quote. Shatner did leave the door open for a cameo or guest role if the Star Trek writers can justify having Kirk back from the dead and decades older than he was last time anyone saw him. Quote, it will have to pass through enormous hurdles, including permission from Paramount, and then they'll have to get back to me and see where things are at, end quote, Shatner explained. Um, so, okay, so, you know, let's talk a little bit about this. Um, yeah, Shatner coming back, I mean, well, then just just make the Shatner novels like canon, right? <laughs> just say, yeah, no, the Borg brought him back like they did in the return, and, and then we're good. Of course, is that going to happen? Probably not. Um, I would love to have Shatner do one last stint as Kirk because honestly I am always scared to death speaking of death I'm always scared to death that he's just going to drop like tomorrow you know any every day I'm I'm kind of I'm in the back of my mind I'm always expecting to hear that Shatner's gone and that sucks and thankfully I had the great pleasure of going to uh, going to see Shatner um, actually in Concord um, just recently um, went with the the lovely and hyper intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy and Ellen it was a great time but I wouldn't mind seeing it on the screen one more time. Um, I, but I got to admit, like, I'm wholly disappointed in, like, I appreciate Shatner clarifying what was behind the decision for Kirk dying, but his explanation of how Kirk died, like that, oh my, still feels, like I said, still feels so cheap. Like, I, I mean, it just doesn't, it's not enough, you know, for one of the greatest characters in science fiction history to, to just kind of go like that. Um, I mean, and you know, you, you can do that kind of the awe and wonder thing that he described. In fact, uh, as a counterpoint would be, um, you know, Bruce Boxleitner in Babylon five, when Sheridan dies, well, quote unquote dies. Uh, we don't exactly know what happened there, but anyway, sorry, folks, spoiler alert. The show's only been around for however long. And I've been telling, you know, for decades and I've been telling you to watch it for almost as long. Um, but anyway, but you know, when Sheridan like dies, he says, Oh, look, the sun's coming up and it's a beautiful little moment that makes sense. There's no real precedent to like the, the only thing we ever knew about Kirk's death is like from star Trek five, where, where Kirk says, I I've always known that I'll die alone. And he doesn't exactly die alone. Like, I, I don't feel like he did that. I mean, it created, you know, that death in generations created a great moment where Spock actually goes to that planet in, um, I guess would that, would that be yeah in the ashes of Eden at, at the end of it like in an epilogue of ashes of Eden like that's great you know that works uh, and that's a beautiful moment but uh, I <laughs> I don't I, I just I, I really I still and and I like Star Trek Generations as a movie but I that death scene no good. Like, I, I, I really, really, I, I don't dig it. As to where the lead up to it, you know, where Kirk's like, oh, sounds like fun, you know, and he's talking to, to, to Picard and everything like that was really cool. And and Shanner's explanation just leaves me still feeling like, nah, yeah, but you, yeah, but Bill, you didn't deliver. Like, I didn't feel like you had awe or anything. You know, if you even if you added in the word God, that 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 could have I mean, I'm not religious, but that could have worked. You know, if they if he said, oh, my God, 
You know, like that would have been great. But just the oh my never sat right with me, even as a little kid at the time. And I guess it was at 94. So I was 13. Yeah, never sat right with me. So anyway, but there's some explanation around that. I thought that was interesting to talk about. The financial decision is really the more interesting thing as far as that goes. Like, who knew that that they pretty much strong-armed and said, no, we're going to kill off your character. You know, you can either just be a part of it or not. And wow, you know, talk about dickish from Paramount. Um, okay, let's get into, uh, there's two more stories I really do want to get into, but we'll, we'll try and make them quick. Uh, this was an interesting one that got put out there. Um, and it's an unused Star Trek The Next Generation episode outline featuring the Guardian and two Spocks. And, of course, when we're talking about the Guardian, that's the Guardian of Forever. This story is also from September 16th. Uh, the link is from actually trekmovie.com. Uh, but Tracy Torme, who did great writing for, uh, for The Next Generation, in 1988, in fact, the script is dated, or the, the treatment, I should say. It's not a full-on script. It's an over, uh, you know, what you, I guess what you would call a treatment. Um, is from August 25th, 1988. So, you know, this is what, what's that 30 years ago? Um, that's amazing (laughs) to think that that's 30 years ago, but in any case, so this would have been like season two, maybe season three, they would have ended up using it. Hopefully it would have been season three. Um, but yeah, I'm guessing this would have happened in season two and I don't know how that would have worked and I don't know how well that would have looked. Uh, but basically there was a story they were going to call return to forever. And, they were going to the Enterprise D was, go, you know, Picard and crew were going to go to uh, the Guardian of Forever, you know, which, uh, of course, if you remember the classic Harlan Ellison penned episode City on the Edge of Forever, uh, widely regarded as the greatest star, hour of Star Trek ever. And widely regarded as one of the best hours of television ever, actually, by TV Guide themselves. Um, this this would have been pretty cool. And you can read it and read more of it in the show notes. But basically, you would have had. They would have taken Leonard Nimoy. He would have played both Spocks. And they would have had Spock in the 24th century go back to like 78 years in the past, which would have been around Star Trek IV, which Star Trek IV came out in 87, so it would have matched up right there. But you would have had these two Spocks kind of work together to to solve this, this kind of big problem uh, within it. And it's an interesting idea. It would have been really great to see two Spocks in action. Um, this probably would have been a fairly high-budgeted episode just to pull that off. Uh, and because, you know, the ability to do two characters like that really wasn't perfected at the time. And there's certainly episodes, early episodes of the next generation you can think of where you had like multiple datas or, you know, data and lore or even literally multiple datas. And it didn't exactly work the best. And it was easier even with an Android uh, or, you know, somebody that had a less than human look. But um, yeah, this, this could have been really cool, uh, you know, to do this. And, Granted, I love what we got when we finally did get Spock in the 24th century. Of course, that being the six season episode, uh, two-parter unification. Um, this, this script is pretty cool. And I love the idea of bringing back the Guardian of Forever. I think there have been books that had dealt with the Guardian of Forever, uh, like where, in fact, actually Spock would go through it again. And he'd go through it back to like primitive Vulcan. Where, in fact, if you remember one of my Forbidden Frontiers, uh, I think it was Another Side of Paradise Part 4, 
where you go back in time and like Vulcans almost like Rome and there's all these warring factions and everything uh, in some novels. And in fact, there was like even sequel novels to this. There was that plot line where Spock does go through the Garden of Forever again to ancient Vulcan. He even has a son there and his son is like this, you know, conquering hero. It, it's a, on, on ancient Vulcan. It's a really, really interesting. It's really interesting stuff. Um, I would have loved it. I, any time that you can tie into the original series, I think that's great because I think there are so many wonderful ideas in the original series that never get touched. Say nothing of the animated series, uh, which I think we might've gotten the guardian of forever in that again. Um, but I, yeah, the guardian of forever is such a wild idea that really could be explored more. Um, I would, I wouldn't mind if discovery fucked with it in some way or hell let's, you know, let's have this Picard show deal with the the Guardian of Forever somehow. I I think that would be fantastic. I, you know, I'd totally be on board with that. By the way, uh, so anyway, you can read kind of the the little treatment. It's it's only four pages. It's very short. I probably could read it right now, but you know, on air. But regardless, um, you know, check it out. Uh, but this is cool. You know that there was originally this script. There were a lot of wild scripts for the original series, or I mean, for the next generation. Like there were ones that had to do with transgender, which we kind of got. There was ones that had to do with openly gay characters and so on. Um, a lot of which got shut down shot down by the studio uh, unfortunately in fact some of them were Tracy Torme penned as well uh, so those are always fascinating to look into a lot of those next generation episodes that never got made but this is a new one to me I had never heard about this one and the idea of two Spocks is pretty cool and of course J.J. Abrams would pretty much end up doing this very thing right with uh, you know with the 2009 Star Trek film where you know you get Leonard Nimoy and Zachary Quinto face to face and it turned out beautifully so I can only imagine how great it would have been with the next generation even though it might have looked odd if they were doing it in the second season um, something, another piece of news that, that had come out, uh, that I don't have a link for in the show notes, but, uh, the rest of the next generation cast, you know, uh, LeVar Burton and Marina Sirtis and so on, uh, they've all come out and said, none of them have been approached or asked to be in the Picard show. So I don't know what that means. Maybe they just haven't been asked yet. Uh, we don't know what stage that the Picard show is really at, you know, it's just kind of recently been announced. But they have not been approached. We'll see what happens. I mean, I, if if there's anybody I think that they should put on there, it'd be nice to have Gates McFadden, sure. But I, you got to get Michael Dorn. You got to have Worf. You know, Worf, Worf can save your show. Worf can make your show, right? Think Deep Space Nine, even though I like Deep Space Nine without him. I totally understand how he, you know, came in and saved that in a lot of people's eyes. Uh, so that's that's something, uh, you know, interesting to look into. So, yeah, I mean, these these alternative tracks that could have been a thing. And who knows? Maybe these scripts can get used in the future. That's something Star Trek's done for a while. Right. Remember Star Trek phase two. Originally, we weren't going to get Star Trek, the motion picture in the 70s. There was going to be an, a fourth. Paramount was going to make a network. This is before UPN was a gleam in anyone's eye. They were going to make a fourth network. And they were going to have a Star Trek show be kind of the the flagship show for this new network in the 70s. And a lot of the character ideas like Zahn and Ilea and so on, um, and also a lot of the scripts and the episode ideas for that would end up getting used for the next generation. So this could still end up happening. And in kind of a way it did, right? Like I said, with the 2009 Star Trek film. So interesting stuff. Check it out in the show notes if, uh, if you want. So, okay. One last story. And I normally don't want to do this kind of story, but I thought that this was pretty cool. And so I want to mention it. Okay. Uh, normally, because I, my, my greatest hope is that next month for the October Star Trek update, I can have guests on. We'll see what happens. Okay. Um, so August and September have just been nuts as far as schedule. It really has. 
So, okay, this is this is actually coming from Tor.com, which, uh, you know, Tor, of course, you know, major publisher and all, uh, but, but Tor has a fantastic, I mean, you know, major publisher of science fiction, has a fantastic website for science fiction news. It really does. Uh, I go to Tor.com all the time. Um, normally, I don't like to cover this sort of stuff, and it's particularly bad when it comes to Star Wars, and that is somebody on Reddit in some subreddit somewhere in some dark cavernous part of the planet uh, comes up with some idea and everybody thinks it's holy shit that's so wild and somehow that becomes news and ends up in like your Google assistant feed it drives me fucking insane like I, I really can't stand it but I kind of like this one and this has to do with Star Trek not Star Wars but normally I won't give these things the time of day I won't talk about them on the Star Trek update I'm not going to talk about them or on Star Wars update with you know when I do that with my co-host Robin and I'm not going to do it on Star Trek update either but this one scratched an itch of mine shall we say um and what it is so well let me read the headline here this star trek fan theory explains why the borg's attacks on the federation make no sense uh that's that's a very intriguing title and i'm going to give you a very brief overview of this because we're we're over an hour as far as the star star trek update goes and that's because i was fucking talking about the rock for 10 minutes but (laughs) but, thank you for indulging me again in that uh but anyway what i like about this is that this references this whole theory of basically why do the Borg keep attacking the Federation and also why don't they just like really bring on a full onslaught fleet of ships against the Federation like what like what Voyager keeps having to deal with in the Delta Quadrant right like why why does it seem like the Borg are at the in one sense all powerful but then at the same time hampered in a way uh, and it's an interesting question. And also, you know, like you can say, well, you know, they what's their mission? They seek to better themselves by, you know, assimilating other species and everything. And so they just keep trying to assimilate, you know, humanity and, and anything that's that's in their path. But like, what's the real reason for doing a lot of this stuff? Like, you know, it, it all like what's what's their real motivation? Right. Uh, so this guy or I'm, I'm assuming it's a guy. It's S Trek APOL 7979 on Reddit. Ooh, boy. <laughs> uh, actually, it's a pretty great subreddit for the Daystrom Institute where they they have some really a lot of fun talking Star Trek. I mean, you want to get nerdy. You want to get sweaty with Star Trek. That's where you go. Um, but anyway, the, the basic idea is, is it's referencing an episode of Voyager where they talk about the Omega Molecule. Okay, and the omega molecule is this really unstable like molecule that if you fuck with it the wrong way, you could end up wiping out the entire universe. And in fact, the Federation has what's called the Omega Protocol, which you deal with in a Voyager episode where when you encounter that, oh, Starfleet captains got it like everything goes to, you know, everything goes dark, ship shuts down. Like, I mean, it's, it's really crazy shit. Um, and I love the, there's the episode is called uh, the Omega Directive. So in that episode of Voyager, when that happens, Janeway does, you know, engages in the Omega Protocol because they're, they've encountered, uh, you know, an Omega Molecule. And Seven of Nine tells Janeway about the Borg's own history with the Omega Molecule and how they had a horrendous accident with it that, like, really, really fucked up the Borg fleet and, you know, potentially killed millions, if not billions, of Borg. And so the basic gist of this theory 
And he lays, I mean, I got to give this guy credit. Like he really lays out, lays out a ton of evidence. But the basic idea is, is that the omega molecule, that experiment that the Borg engaged in. Now, the Federation did its own experimentation in the 23rd century. In fact, I'll, I'll give you, a, you know, for patrons here, because um, I'm still doing that episode of Star, or Star Trek Forbidden Frontiers, that full on audio theater that's going to run about two hours. Um that has, I'll, well, I'll just let the cat out of the bag. That has a lot to do with the Omega molecule. And in fact, the experiments that get referenced in the Omega directive. Um, I, I wrote the script like back in March, you know, well before this guy came up with this thing. But anyway, I, I, I really think there's something, there's a lot of magic that can be had with the, with the, uh, this concept of the Omega molecules. So anyway, his basic gist is, is that the Omega molecule like completely fucked with you know, space time around huge swaths of Borg space. And so literally there's avenues that their fleets can't travel in because this Omega molecule explosion or this Omega molecule experiment that the Borg engaged in that seven of nine was talking about in this Voyager episode uh, is, is almost trapping the Borg. And that's why they can't just like send huge fleets into the alpha quadrant. Okay. That's, that's kind of the basic idea. And also because the Federation has access to uh, what really makes the Omega Molecule work, which is something uh, an element called Boronite Ore, which is very rare. They're, they kind of they, they want access to the Federation, and then at the same time, they kind of like want to let the, the Federation sort of you know explore this on their own in a way. Like, I mean, it's it's a really interesting theory, but basically, the entire thrust behind whatever the Borg do, and the reason why, like, okay, so if they just want to, I mean, because here's the contradiction with the Borg, right? So they want to better themselves and they'll only assimilate or, you know, they want to assimilate everything. It seems right. Like they want to assimilate the Federation, blah, 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 blah. At least that's what it seems. Right. But then how come you can beam aboard their ship? And as long as you're not perceived as a threat, they don't just assimilate you. Like if they just want to like make the entire universe Borg, why aren't they making the entire universe Borg? Because what they're actually doing is they are trying to harness the power of the Omega molecule. And so if you aren't interfering with their mission on that, then they don't give a shit about you. But the Federation has access to Boronite ore. And so, oh, so we got to take the Federation seriously. But they're also hindered in how much they can access the Federation because of their own experiment with the Omega Molecule. I mean, this is real sweaty stuff, right? This is real Star Trek sweaty stuff. I love it, though. And it's such a well-done theory. I mean, so well done with so many different reference points. There's points about with the, you know, with the show Enterprise and so on. Um, and also the fact that I've had an interest because I remember, you know, seeing the Omega Directive when it first aired and like when everything kind of goes blank and suddenly there's the Omega symbol on all the computer console screens and everything aboard the Voyager. You, I mean, you can't help but go, whoa, what the fuck's that? What's going on there? In fact, if you had noticed for the past three or so years, the, the Sovereign Tech symbol has ironically been an Omega symbol. Hmm. <laughs> so, so like I said, this theory really scratched an itch for me. Uh, and, and, and I think it's, it's brilliantly done. I, I mean, I totally recommend reading more into it, but that's the basic gist. It's just that the Borg is, have become obsessed with the, with harnessing the Omega molecule and whatever that takes, everything else is really just, you know, kind of a secondary directive as it were. So, um, yeah, cool stuff. You definitely want to read that if you want to do some deep diving on some Star Trek theory. I mean, it, it's there for you. So anyway, all right, that's it. I'm going to wrap this up because we're, we're over an hour now and um, nothing else really to add in as far as that goes. Uh, people have been asking about Star Trek Forbidden Frontiers still getting produced. These things take a ton of time and I've 
um, uh, well, he, for reasons that I've explained on Sovereign Tech, I've been a very, uh, you know, my schedule has been nuts. Uh, and as much as I hoped that 2018 things would actually calm down, it's actually been quite the opposite. Uh, but not necessarily for bad things. So anyway, um, yeah, we got, you know, Star Trek's looking great. There's amazing things going on. We're getting movies and TV shows up the fucking ass uh, <laughs> in a good way. And, you know, we're getting the short treks. Like, I love this. I'm so excited that we're going to be getting these over the next few months. Uh, really looking forward to that. Uh, things are kind of quiet on the comic book and novel, and, you know, and, and, and book ends of um, of Star Trek, which is a little troubling to me, uh, but you know, I'm there. Actually, there was some news that there's going to be some big deals going on with uh, Star Trek comics that will be announced over the next few months. So we'll, we'll see what those end up being. Uh, one of them looked like maybe a Titan comic of some kind, or there's like a next generation comic coming that'll probably, I'm going to guess that the, the claim was, is that there's a next generation comic coming. I'm going to guess this ties into uh, the new Picard show, which that would be exciting to see. So we'll see if we end up getting that. But a lot of great stuff coming out for Star Trek. So much fun to have. And, and if you're looking for new content, if you're like me and you've already read everything that has come out for Star Trek as far as like the comic books with IDW and the novelizations for Star Trek Discovery and you never read the Shatnerverse, go read the Shatnerverse novels. Uh, you, I guarantee you, you will not be disappointed. They are everything you've ever wanted. They, they are so badass. Have a great time with those. Um, and you know, yeah, we'll we'll reconvene and talk about the short treks and everything else. We will have plenty to talk about over the next few months. And of course, season two is of Star Trek Discovery will be starting in January 2019, and we'll be ready for that. And I'm sure as fucking hell ready. Uh, I think season two is going to be leaps and bounds better than season one. Not that season one was bad. So anyway, that's it for your uh, September Star Trek update 2018. Uh, we've got more episodes to come out. It's going to be another one of those situations where every day, pretty much, you're going to get an episode of Sovereign Tech as a patron or something for Sovereign Tech. Um, also, real quick, I just want to mention this again. If you have not signed up for your reward tiers on Patreon, whatever donation level you're at, if you're at a dollar, five dollars, or if you're going for one of the higher ones, make sure you click on those. You won't get charged. Okay, you won't get charged again for joining it. But if you don't join it, you won't get access to the exclusives that come with these reward tiers. I think if you as long as you stick through to the next month into October, it'll automatically put you in those reward tiers. But don't count on that. Um, this is kind of new ground for me with Patreon. So I want to make sure that you you get access to those. Um, I put a post on Patreon about it. So you can go to patreon.com slash sovereign tech if you want to read about it, figure out how to do it. And anyway, that's it for your again, your Star Trek update, September 2018. I will see all of you. Woo! On the other side.